Welcome to Audiobook Test Drive. In today's episode, we are featuring an excerpt from My Takeaway Vampire, written by Derek Haynes. Although Agatha Grace is more than 300 years old, it certainly doesn't mean she can't adapt and fit into ugly, post-industrial, small-town suburbia. Partial to the delights an evening at McDonald's often serves her, she waits at her favorite dimly lit corner table for her kind of vampire takeaway. Being your typical urban vampire, this means her fare isn't up in bright lights on the menu above the cashiers. However, she usually finds exactly what she is seeking. Her teenage beauty, long blonde hair, and ice blue eyes are a temptation very few adorable young men can resist. After a long and predictable vampiric existence, trouble is now afoot for Agatha Grace, however. Red-headed, freckled, and occasionally a little slow on the uptake, young Reggie stumbles into Agatha's predictability and turns it on its head as he is struck by his first real dose of love at first sight. Add the overprotective, rhyming ghost of a dead poet, a snarling black wolf, some cops, and Agatha's preference for the 1980s fashion of miniskirts, satin halter-neck tops, and knotted white blouses, and things just may go awry, which, of course, they do. Along with a couple of untimely and unfortunate deaths, and Reggie's complete misunderstanding of anything going on, the awry becomes a dead certainty. This is a very different, tasty little comedic vampire tale, but still with a little bite. And now for your listening pleasure, an excerpt from My Takeaway Vampire. Agatha had her favorite corner table at McDonald's, the ever-glowing, double-golden arching takeaway centerpiece in the middle of the ugly post-industrial suburbia that was Eatonsville, a small town unknown to many, but intentionally forgotten by more. Such a miserable place. If it had been a dog, it would have been put out of its misery long ago. Most forgotten towns had a heyday at some time or another, but this place never managed to rise to any occasion. It was a dump, full of the waste of human existence. Agatha sat quietly, away from the bright lights that lit the area around the cashiers and far from the rancid odor of animal blood being flame-grilled and eternally reheated. The thought of it disgusted her and turned her stomach. But she had to be here— and wait for her own particular kind of takeaway feast. Through the window beside her, the children's play area was appealingly shadowed in late evening darkness, with the gaudy colors of the plastic playground pleasantly subdued by the encroaching darkness. Beyond, in the distance, her resting place, silhouetted against the last dim shard of fading light on the horizon. Directly behind her, the security of the ladies' room that was her refuge, should the need arise that she attracted unwanted or unpalatable attention. Agatha now waited patiently, whiling away her time, but sensing her deepening hunger. Young blood, she mouthed silently to herself as she felt the twinges of her anxious fangs. 
While long flowing gowns of silk and web were her preference, she adapted to the attire needed to entrap her prey. Her armory, that was now her McDonald's collection, had been hard-earned. The unpleasant taste of Emma, a sweet yet savage little tart of no more than fifteen years, remained an eternal memory for Agatha, even though it had now been more than thirty years. Bitter, with a hint of musk and citron, and a disgusting aftertaste of an all-too-palatable liking for sweet alcopops. Emma's bedroom walls, adorned by pop-gods of no consequence, were as distasteful as Emma. But Agatha had skillfully teased her, and pleased her. Although a young slut who had been had by far too many for her age, Emma excitedly submitted to Agatha's gentle touch, lesbian offerings, and when drowned in the afterglow of the orgasmic delights Agatha had aroused, Emma submitted with only a whimpering moan as Agatha fed greedily, albeit to the hideous dulcet tones of Barry Manilow. At first, just wanting to satisfy her hunger, Agatha lost all self-control and drowned in greed. She had no want to taste Emma again, nor lie once more in a bed dedicated like some altar of worship to Winnie the Pooh, so she selfishly feasted. It was Agatha's first kill, a very dark omen that she failed to understand at the time. Such was her pleasure in draining the last drops of life from Emma's young body. Once replete, Agatha rose and admired the angelic look of death on Emma's half-smiling face, and the warm red stains of her sacrifice oozing across the linen, and the face of the stupid yellow bear. Then she claimed her reward, as she chose slowly and deliberately from Emma's wardrobe what she felt would entice her preferred delight, untouched and very eager young men. Feigning a sip of her by now tepid black coffee, which was the only substance at McDonald's she could tolerate having within feet of her, she waited. In vain. Not one solitary young man, let alone a tasty fifteen- or sixteen-year-old boy. Although nearly half full, the tables were occupied by intolerable families and small tribal gangs of would-be, could-be, and probable delinquents. In front of her, and across two vacant tables, a couple with a noisy two-year-old, who was enjoying himself by distributing ice cream to all parts of the floor, sat looking glum. Agatha could only see the back of the woman, but from the repetitive finger-pointing and flicking of her long dark hair across her shoulders, Agatha recognized a bitch at work, her husband keeping his eyes lowered and quietly enduring the whispered tirade. Why do they do it? Agatha thought to herself, probably once a fox, and now a pathetic little lapdog, being beaten into domesticated submission. His job is probably the only thing in his life that still sucks. Poor sod. She caught his glance, although it was so brief before he returned to studying his half-eaten and hurriedly enjoyed hamburger. Another glance. An asshole and gutless, aren't you? Stand up to the bitch, you coward. Agatha thought, as she vented her silent wrath. Across the silky touch of her tangerine, satin halter necktop, she ran a finger ever so briefly across her left breast, her pertness immediately noticed by him. His gaze now trapped over the right shoulder of his still-babbling bitch, Agatha waited a second, holding his gaze with her stare, wet her lips slowly with her tongue, and then mouthed very slowly to him, You... Are a pathetic 
asshole. His interest in Agatha's advances and cleavage waned immediately, and his eyes instantly returned to his half-eaten hamburger and the safety of being harangued. The night was proving to be a disappointment for Agatha, and with little hope of the nourishment she hungrily desired, she rose from her table to see if the now darkened streets may offer her a morsel of delight. Blowing a kiss to her asshole acquaintance on her way past, and inducing the bitch to silence for the first time in more than an hour, Agatha was pleased with herself, and equally pleased that the bitch wore a face that was losing its youth by the second. As she entered the evening's coolness, she glanced through the window and smiled as the bitch was now back in full fury. Their child had finished distributing his McFlurry onto the floor and was now screaming and turning ever so slightly blue. Eatonsville was a small town that had become a garbage dump of post-industrial urban life. Once a small hamlet surrounded by farms when Agatha was a young girl, the more than three hundred years since had not been kind to the small community. Factories came and went, and then filth, poverty, and violence had crept slowly upon it. Only Agatha's tranquil sanctuary had remained unaltered, the old graveyard. She shared it with dead poets, lynched murderers, and forgotten mayors, but luckily for her, it had become fully occupied over 250 years ago, and a new, larger cemetery was opened on the outskirts of town. Agatha wandered slowly, dressed as she was in her 1980s fashion, tangerine halter necktop, blue denim miniskirt, and orange high heels. The age of her outfit didn't matter, as a generous cleavage, long legs, and a flat stomach never go out of fashion. A few old slimes ventured her way, asking, How much? But she just fixed them with a stare until her eyes turned sanguine red. It would usually suffice. On the rare occasions this was not enough, she simply grabbed them by their Adam's apple and launched them a distance to land flat on their back, winded and scared witless. The moon was rising in the late night sky that would soon herald a new dawn, and with little hope now after some hours of walking, Agatha headed towards home, famished. On arriving, she was pleased to find her neighbor, Elrod Phipps, floating above his plot. I sense the arrival of despair and gloom. What is it, my dear? Can't find your tomb? Oh, Mr. Phipps, you cheer me greatly with your words. What did I do to deserve a friend and neighbor such as you? T'was said by the many, and dissenters not any, that Agatha Grace, fine of face, will never be left, nor ever bereft, of friends who are true to your eyes so blue. Oh, Mr. Phipps, you flatter me. Now, tell me, how has your night passed? Dear me, dear me, not a soul to see, Phipps said as he floated up and down, more down, though, as his feet started to disappear incrementally down through and into his tomb. Time for sleep, my good friend. Ah, the sleep of the dead must place my head on the comfort of stone, though I'm never alone, in my place aside, Agatha Grace. Good day, Mr. Phipps, Agatha said, as she slid her tombstone and prepared her entry for a good day's sleep, watching as the last signs of Elrod Phipps's head lowered into his tomb, his hand rising out once, offering a polite wave good day. Agatha found her place and slid her tombstone closed 
and dreamed of the night that had changed her life forever. We hope you enjoyed listening to this excerpt from My Takeaway Vampire. If you would like to hear the entire audiobook, it can be purchased at Amazon.com, Audible.com, and iTunes.com.